Welcome to Heartland Christian Center Sermon of the Week. You will be able to find more Heartland sermons at hcc.ag or Heartland Christian Center YouTube channel. Please like, follow, and share this podcast with others. We hope you enjoy this week's message by our lead pastor, Dr. Phil Willingham. Hey, I want you to grab your worship guys. If you got your Bibles, get ready to open them up. Man, we are an excited series and uh, looking at questions. We want to welcome all of our campuses that's watching online at Hebron and Wanatow and North Johnson, wherever you're watching. We are glad that you are with us. We have had some unique questions. Matter of fact, this morning after the first service, somebody told me, said, when is Pastor Matt going to preach again? Now, I want to tell you, that's the first time somebody has asked me that in a while. Uh, I don't know what they was giving reference to. No, they told me, said, you know, Pastor Phil said, you're really making me to have to stop and think a little bit. And, uh, you know, these questions are doing that for all of us. I, I hope that they're maybe, maybe putting a little pause in our lives and saying, okay, God, how am I doing when it comes to my relationship, Christ-likeness? Am I, am I living out what God asked me to live out? And, uh, you know, one time John D. Watt Rockefeller was asked a question, what he thought was one of the most important skills that a person needed in order to be a success. And he thought for just a few minutes, and he said one of the most important skills that a person needs in order to, to succeed is to be able to handle difficult people. How many's ever had any difficult people in your life? How many, how many used to work with difficult people? How many, how many have family members that's difficult? How many sat in beside somebody that's difficult? No, don't, don't raise your hand. <laughs> how many understand that difficult people are everywhere? Matter of fact, I want to challenge you. If you have no difficult people in your life, if you have no EGRs in your life, extra grace required, if you have no crazy people in your life, then you are dead, okay? You are dead. You hang out with nobody because they're everywhere. And this morning as we look at Luke chapter 6, Jesus is going to challenge us. I think some of the hardest sayings of Jesus is found in this passage of Luke 26, 27 through 26. To kind of give you a little background, he's been on the sermon of what, what we call the Sermon of Mount, and he's been talking about the Beatitudes. He's been giving instructions of how we're blessed if we're mourned, and we're blessed if we're persecuted, and we're blessed, and he's given all these accolades. And then he gets down in Luke chapter 6 and verse 27, and he says these, this phrase right here, but to you who are listening, I say. Now, what does that mean? Does it mean some people have already tuned him out? Probably so. Maybe some people have just said, wait a minute, Jesus, we don't want to hear anymore. Some of you, before I get through with this message today, you're going to probably say, listen, Woody, shut up. I don't want to hear that no more. Because Jesus challenges us, doesn't he? He really, he really speaks to our heart. So he says, but to you who are listening, I say, now here's the challenge, love your enemies and do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to them the other also. If, one, if someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Give to everyone who asks you. And if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. Now, if that isn't hard enough right there, if that isn't difficult right there, if that isn't challenging right there, then he asked us these questions, starting in, in verse 32. If you love those who love you, what credit is it to you? Even sinners love those who love them. If you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is it to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is it to you? 
Even sinners lend to sinners, expecting to be repaid in full. And then he says it again. But love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High, because he is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Be merciful just as your father is merciful. Now, now these hard sayings of Jesus recorded here in Luke and in other Gospels, basically, when you look at the ministry of Jesus, they're, they're the essence of what Jesus taught. These are not additions. These are not just add-ons. These are not just, well, I just want to pick and choose a little bit. No, this is, this is a core curriculum of what it means for you and I as Christ followers to be Christ-like, loving, being kind, doing good, not for the easy people in our life, not, not, not for the people that, that cause us no problem, but doing those things for the very difficult people in our life, the EGRs in our life, the, the, the crazies in our life. Now, now, when Jesus says, love your enemies, what, what is he talking about? Is he he's talking about that you and I should walk around with just fuzzy feelings and, you know, warm, fuzzy moments about towards our enemies? No, listen, everywhere in the Scriptures, when the Bible talks about love, love is always defined by a verb, not a noun. He isn't talking about something that, that we should just simply feel. He's talking about something that we should do. Be loving to your enemies. Be kind to those who mistreat you. Do good. So everything is about, is about doing something rather than feeling something. One time a Christian counselor had a man come to him to see to him, and he told the counselor that he wanted to divorce his wife. And the counselor started having a conversation, and the man said, well, my wife hasn't been unfaithful. She hasn't left me or anything like that. I just don't love her anymore. And the Christian counselor looked at the man and said, well, you know, the Bible says <clears throat> that husbands are to love their wives as Christ loved the church. And you have no option, my friend. This is a command, so you got to go and love your wife. And the man immediately responded and said, sir, you just don't get it. I don't even want to be around this woman. I don't, I don't want to live in the same house with her. And the counselor said, oh, said, I understand. He said, what I'm recommending now is you have a trial separation. And during this trial separation, I want you to go and rent a house as close as you can to the house where you live, and I want you to become a neighbor to your wife. And the guy said, well, what is that going to do? Well, you can't love your wife as the Bible says husbands love your wife as Christ loved the church. So the Bible also says love your enemies. And the guy looked at him. He got even more angry. He said, sir, you, you just don't get it. He said, I don't want to be near her. He said, I can't stand the sight of her. I, I have nothing but angry feelings towards my wife. And the counselor said, oh, now I understand. He said, you can't love her as your wife. You can't love her as your neighbor, so she must be your enemy. He said, yes, now you get it. She's my enemy. He says, great. The Bible says, love your enemies. And the guy walked out the door and looked for a different counselor. It, it, isn't that the way we are sometimes, though, when it comes to loving the difficult people in life? We, we want to say, but Lord, you, you don't understand. It's, it's this or it's that. It's that. Listen, and I understand today, if I had time, listen, we, we could talk about all kind of, of EGRs and crazy makers in our life. There's all kind of difficult people. I didn't put this in your notes, but you might write it down in your margin. We, we've got the demanding people in our lives sometimes. You know, the bossing, they're, they're controlling, they're always insisting their way. We got the disapproving people in our lives sometimes. That can be difficult. These are the nitpickers. Uh, you know, they, they, your, your best is never enough. They're, they're always negative. They're judgmental about everything. How about the deafening? They're, they're the megaphones in our life. They're the talkaholics. They, they simply just love to argue. They'll argue with a stop sign. 
Now, I know you probably don't have any of those guys. How about the destructive people in our life? They, they're like volcanoes. They're like Mount San Helens of our life. They just blow up and they explode. And you walk around them in, in, in constant fear or tension. And then there's a discontented in our life. You ever had those crybabies? <laughs> You ever had people that just get their feelings hurt very easy? They walk around with the poor old me syndrome all the time. Chronic complainers about everything. And then there's a demeaning. They're the smart mouse. They're the bubble busters. They love to deflate you. They love to tear you down. They, they love to be rude and insulting to you. Listen, there, there's all kind of difficult people in our life. And yet Jesus gives us a very specific command in Luke chapter 6, the loving our enemies, doing good to those who hate us, bless them that curse us, and he simply says, pray for those who abuse us. Now watch this. Every one of those commands, they, they run counter, they, they, they have a counter action against our human intuition. Everything about what Jesus is asking me to do, it doesn't, my, my flesh doesn't say, oh, I'm excited to do that, right? Come on. I'm excited to love my inner. I'm excited to pray for them. No, everything that Jesus is asking us to do runs counterintuitive to our human reaction. That's the reason why to be able to live out the Christ life, you can't do it in your own power. You can't do it in your own strength. I can't do it in my own abilities. It takes a power source greater than anything within ourselves that we could possibly do. You understand that? It's the reason why Christ tells us, yeah, this, is, this is what I want you to do. This is what I command you to do. This is a lifestyle. This is a behavior of a Christ follower. Now, understand you can't do it by yourself. I want you to see this photo here of Jim Brazel. Jim is a Baptist chaplain down in Huntsville, Texas prison. He works in the death chamber. In the face of death, every week, Jim offers the presence of peace and the message of hope. To those in the society and the culture where Jim is, he gives to them unconditional love. Many men that are facing execution behind the, the high brick walls are in Huntsville, Texas. Pastor Jim is the last friend that they'll know in this world. Now get this. He does this because he feels that God has called him and he called Christians to live in a culture that is anti-culture. He meets with the, the prisoner and he, uh, on, on the condemned person. He gives them spiritual counseling. He prays with the inmate. He carries a message to the family that, that the inmate can often not see. He eats with the prisoner their very last meal, reasoning that no one should have to eat alone in his time of death. And when that prisoner is strapped to that gurney to be sentenced to death, Jim will be there in that room, and he places his hand on that person's leg as a reminder there's somebody nearby that cares about him. Now, you would think Jim would be applauded by our culture and say, oh, what an amazing person that is. Do you understand how many people hate what he does? Because, listen, it, it is totally anti-culture. It, it is loving the enemies that our society has declared to be guilty. It is doing good to those that have been hated and are hated by most. It is praying for those who have abused others. It's loving those who have no power to love him back and has no reason to do that. But Jim says it's simply committing to live out the ministry that Jesus said, if you love those who love you, what credit is to you? This is totally anti-culture today. It is totally something way far left from what most people think that living a Christ life is all about. Pastor, I tell you what, I know we live in a broken world, and I know there's some broken people out there somewhere, but Jesus calls us to this higher level of, dem uh, of love, demanding that if we're going to be Christ followers, this is what it should look like. Now, most of you are getting way too excited with this message right now, so I just want you to calm down. I know you're loving it. I know it just, it's just making you feel so good. 
But listen, this is what God has called us to do in this broken world right now. So let me, let me, let me give you some steps of how do we do this. What, what, what is a way, Pastor Phil, that I can get in the mindset? And, and it is a mindset. We, 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 we start looking at and we change the way that we think about the brokenness of our culture today, about the difficult people in our life, about the crazy makers that we have around us, about those people who need the extra grace that sometimes is required in order that we might be a witness to them. So here's the first step. We have to consider the measure of grace which Christ has regarded us. When, when, listen, when, when I become full of pride, when, when I allow myself to think that I've got everything good going on in my life, it's almost natural for me to look at others who are unworthy of God's help and certainly not worthy of my help. It's almost me, me, me getting to the point, as I talked about a few weeks ago, that I've got this massive plank in my eye, but my massive plank in my own eye, it prevents me from seeing the way that God wants me to be an influence and an impact on those around me in this broken world right now. Listen, but when I stop and when you stop and we realize that we have been saved by God's unmerited compassion, when we begin to realize it was God's grace, it was his unmerited favor in our life, and he has bestowed upon us all of a sudden, when I realize that, I gain a new empathy for those around me. I begin to realize, listen, when Jesus talked about this passage in verse 31, we call it the golden rule, doing to others as you would have them doing to you. Church historians say that this saying, this statement, had been recorded previously. It's not something new, but Jesus is going to take a statement that has usually been in the negative form and is going to turn it to a positive form. Church historians say that in the culture of that day, what, what, the, what the Jewish culture would say, what, what you do not want others to do to you, do not do unto them. In a negative, what, what you don't want done to you, then just don't do it to somebody else. But Jesus comes around and he says, wait a minute, I'm going to give a brand new meaning to this. He said, I want you to do to others as you would have them do to you. You follow me? You see the change? Rather than me just saying, oh, I'm not going to do to you what I don't want done to me. Jesus said, no, no, I want you to step up, and I want to give you a higher motivation. I'm going to call you to be proactive in this community, and I want you to do unto others as you would have them doing to you. Anybody want somebody to pray for you? Anybody want somebody to do good to you? Anybody want somebody to speak well of you? Come on, does that make sense? That's what he's asking us to do. And the only way that I can even start to do that is I have to consider the measure of grace that Christ has given me in my life. I have to understand how much God has put up with my difficulty. I have to understand how many times that God has allowed my annoying attitude and personality to not keep him from loving me. I'm preaching better than you saying amen. But it starts with that. Here's the second step. I begin to see the change that results in myself. As I begin to follow this command, as I begin to do what Jesus said, and again, we're talking about doing something, not feeling something, okay? It's not about feeling, it's about doing. And when I begin to do what Jesus has asked me to do, I start seeing the change that comes in myself. I begin to understand that that. When I, listen, there is no way for me to have re re repeated, extended time of prayer for my enemy without experiencing a change of attitude in myself. You understand that? True prayer is much about changing the person as it is changing the situation and the circumstance. Ron and I celebrated 49 years of marriage just the other week. 49 years. Now listen, when... When we first got married, I, I, know, I know some of you are going to find this hard to believe. I may not have been the easiest person to live with. I, I know, I know you can, you can never see that. You can't even imagine it, Pastor Phil. You're such a great guy. But when we first got married and we would have intense fellowship, we never argued. We would just have intense fellowship. 
And in the midst of our intense fellowship, she would say this to me. She said, okay, that's it. I'm going to go pray for you. No, do not pray for me. Whatever you do, do not pray for me. Because, I listen, the moment she said she was going to pray for me, I knew that something was going to change. But here's what she discovered. When she would go to pray for me, it wasn't so much that she was praying for me. She would begin to pray, God, help me understand. Help me figure out. Help me know where his heart is and know what's going on in his life. You see, God changes our attitude when we pray for people. And when we learn to know the, the, the love that God has given us, when we begin to experience what God is doing, and then we start praying for people, it isn't so much the person changes right off the bat, it's all of a sudden your attitude changes. When, when we first got married, we, we, you know, we'd have a lot of money, we, we traveled, we preached. Rhonda would go to these grocery stores, kind of like a Save-A-Lot or a dollar store, and they, they would sell cans of, of uh, canned goods without labels on them and had dents. It was called the dent section. Anybody ever shopped? You probably never shopped in the dent section. But here's the thing about it. You would go over there, and there was 10 cents a can, but you didn't know what you was getting. Now, you was hoping for peaches, but sometimes you got prunes, okay? And, but but she, would, she would try to get the cans with the least amount of dents, thinking that somehow or another, if it didn't have too many dents, then the label missing didn't really matter because something inside was going to be good. Listen, do you understand that we're just like those dinner cans? Everybody in this room's got your own dents. Hello? Now, when you go hooking up somebody, you go dating somebody, you think about, you try to find somebody with the least amount of dents. Come on, don't you? Well, he's not that bad. She, 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 she's not that bad, you know. She, I know she's got her issues, but she's not as bad as that other girl I used to date. So, so we look. But here's the problem. You still got dents. And you don't know what's on the inside till you get in those circumstances and situations. You're, you're, you're believing to God for prune, for, for, for peaches, but you get a lot of prunes sometimes. And that's the way life is sometimes. But when we start praying for people, it changes our attitude. Here's the third step to our journey. We realize the reward that Jesus offers us. Now listen. Jesus always leads us to, towards right behavior, not, not by coercing us or guilting us, but by persuasion. He offers us a reward. Again, go back in verse 35. He said, when you do this, you're going to receive a great reward and become children of the Most High. See, see the transformation that occurs in our life, in my life, in your life, it isn't by, by, by collecting a required number of, of merit badges and for good deeds along the way, but by the very acts of, of selfish service that God has called us to perform, by just being what God's called us to be, by stepping out in the midst of this broken world, by coming along beside difficult people, crazy people, EGR people, and then all of a sudden realize that if I do what God has asked me to do, I can usher God's kingdom into this place. You see, the kingdom of God, I talked about it last week. Our Father, which art in heaven, how big is your O-R-U? When you say our Father, do you really mean our Father? Or is it a small room? No, our Father includes the crazies, the difficult, the EGRs of our people. And God's kingdom will get ushered into this world, not by some bolt of lightning or blare of trumpet, but listen, the kingdom of God comes through the humble service of his people being transformed by the power of God and living that life out in our culture right now. Well, good preaching, Pastor Phil. I know, just settle down. You're excited about this. Some of you can't wait right now to get to work on Monday. I'm going to go right to that difficult person, and I'm going to just start loving them. Now, I know you're not there yet, okay? Some of you hide in Walmart in the clothes when you see them because you don't want to deal with them. So what's some action steps that we can take? I've got people in my life, Pastor Phil, that's, that's hard to love. What's some action steps that I can tell? First one is just simply go back to what I said earlier. We pray often for them. 1 Thessalonians 5 and 16 said we pray without ceasing. 
Now watch this. I'm about to tell you something that is so profound. Some of you are going to go home and put this on your refrigerator this week because that's where you go to a lot, okay? That should be your prayer closet. So here it is. Here's what I've discovered. Are you ready? You're going to write this down. Here's what I've discovered. I've discovered if people are not on my heart, then they're on my nerves. Is that true? If people, if I don't keep people on my heart, they get on my nerves. And the only way a person stays on my heart and not my nerves is through positive praying for them. Because listen, be honest, isn't it encouraging when somebody comes up to you or somebody calls you or texts you and said, I was just thinking about you today and I was praying for you. It's encouraging, isn't it? To say, wow, this person was thinking about me. They, they took time. They were remembering me today to pray for me. Because here's what I've discovered. Praying is the quickest way to change a relationship. If you've got a relationship, if you've got a difficult person, if you've got an EGR, if you've got a crazy person, and you need to see change, listen, prayer is the very quickest way to change that relationship. Because here's what I know. Listen, people, people can resist your advice. Come on, some of you tried to cancel people out of their craziness. Hello? Well, good preaching. You can't cancel people out of their craziness. They resist your advice. They will spurn your appeals. You ever tried to appeal to somebody's own conscience? that has already been seared by their own bad doings? It doesn't work. They will spurn your appeal. They will reject your suggestions. But they're powerless against your prayers. Rhonda would come out of that prayer meeting that she had had praying for me, and instead of her lecturing me, instead of her counseling me, instead of her trying to tell me what I got to do different, all of a sudden she would tell me, you know what, Phil, while I was praying, the Lord showed me this about myself that I knew. And by the time she got about five minutes in telling me how the Lord was working on her, I'm weeping and I, <laughs> I know I, I got to do like this. I mean, conviction of the Holy Spirit. Hello? Some of you are trying to fight battles in the flesh that only can be won in the Spirit. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. <laughs> what if every morning, the difficult, the crazy, the EGRs in your life, every morning you just ask God to help you see them through His eyes and created within us the kindness that Romans said, it's the kindness of God that leads to repentance. So we pray for them. Because I've noticed when I start to see people the way God sees them, I will begin to treat people the way God treats them. So if you've got a person in your life that particularly that, that is, is difficult and, and the relationship is strained, listen, can, can I just challenge you right now? Just commit to pray for that person. Ever. I'm not saying pray, God, kill them. God, get them. God, go. No, I'm saying, Lord, bless them. Lord Jesus, would you, just, would you just bless that? I don't know what's going on. Because, listen, it's nearly impossible. You know what I found? And I'm going to say nearly impossible. Not, not in, it's nearly impossible for me to continue to hate somebody that I've been asking God to bless. So the first thing I do, I just pray for people. Secondly, I humble myself. Romans 12 and 3 says that we should not think of ourselves more highly than we ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned us. Listen, one of the biggest things that, that the church and Christians have to understand in our, in our culture right now that, that is so anti-God sometimes and anti-Bible and anti-Scripture, listen, it takes humility in our lives to admit that none of us are perfect. It takes humility to acknowledge that sometimes we are hard to love ourselves. Hello? Yeah, that's humility. 
to say, wait a minute, you know what? Maybe I'm the difficult person. Maybe I'm the jerk in, in this relationship. Maybe I'm the EGR. It takes humility to be able to do that. We have to think of how we want to be treated in that situation. We start treating that person that way. We do unto others as we would have them do unto us. That's the command. So I pray for them. I, I walk in humility. Thirdly, I, I learn their story. Bearing with one another, Paul says in Colossians 3 and 12, and if one has a, 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 a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven us. You ever notice how that if you take the time to learn somebody's story, maybe sometimes you wonder, why is this coworker so, so defensive every time I mention God or mention the Bible? Man, listen, sometimes when you learn their story, it may be because that they're, they're mad at God or they're mad at the church for some reason. Maybe something happened a few months ago or a few years ago, and they're walking around, and that wound is still there. But if I take the time to just learn their story, if I take the time to just stop trying to blame them or judge them and just kind of understand the background of what's going on, because listen, when, 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 when you and I as Christ followers, we walk in this broken world right now. We, we said it last, way, last week, the church is the light of the world. We're not the light of the church. We're supposed to be out in the world. We're supposed to be out among the difficult people. We're out among the crazies of this world. But as we walk out there, if we just walk out there with our finger pointed and trying to tell people what's right or what's wrong, many times they'll never listen to us. But when they ask this very simple question, what's your story? Well, every time somebody says, well, I don't believe in God. I'm an atheist. I said, really? I said, what's your story? How'd you get there? Oh, I'll tell you what, I don't go to church. I, I don't think you have to go to church to be a Christian. I said, oh, really? What's your story? How did you, how'd you get there? And most every time when I start with that question, what's your story, Tell me, tell me what's happening. Most, almost every time that conversation opens up much broader than it would have been, I say, well, you're dead wrong. There is a God. Come on. You're a fool to say there's not. If I start with that, it's not going to last very long. True? You know what I discovered about people? Listen, most people that we meet right now in our culture, they're insecure. The church has got to step up, and we've got to give them confidence right now. We, we, we live in a culture today with so many people that we meet that they're looking for a better tomorrow. They're looking for something. It's not coming from the news. It's not coming from politics. They're looking for something better. You know what we can offer them? We can offer them Christ who gives us hope. Christ is the better. Christ is the one that gives us a better tomorrow. Sometimes people need to be understood. So what do we do? We listen to them. Sometimes people lack direction in their life right now. What do we do? Well, you're going the wrong way. You're doing, no, when they lack direction, you know what my job is, my role? I want to help you navigate. I want to help you get there. That's what I'm preaching this message. That's the reason why we're looking at this question the way we're looking at it is, okay, God, we know some of us are going in the wrong direction. We've got people in our lives that are dysfunctional. They're destructive. We understand they're EGRs. We understand they're crazy. They're difficult. But God, instead of just pointing out all that, why not use me to help them navigate back to the right place? I know they need direction. We have so many people today that are emotionally low. They, we, we're, we're there to encourage them. They desire meaningful relationship. So what did we do? Hey, God, help us to create an atmosphere to birth those meaningful relationships. You follow me? People are longing for them. It's the reason why we try to get you in a small group or get you on a serving team. We can worship in a row like this. We can have a great time and we can wave and we can shake hands and we can fist pump. But listen, the only way we really get to know each other is we get in a small group and we come together. See, while I've got a meaningful relationship with these 12 people or these 7 people, whatever it is, we have, to, we have to create an atmosphere for that to be birthed. Right now, people are really seeking models. They want somebody to lead them. So what, do we, what should we do? Listen, you and I as Christ followers, we're, we're, we're supposed to be the example. 
How do you model being good? How do you model lending to those who don't give back? How do you model that? We do it through the power of Christ, not through our own power. So we pray for people. We keep ourselves humble. We learn their story. Fourthly, we forgive often. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Listen, I put this quote in your notes. I think it's powerful. The ability to forgive anything and love anyone is a uniquely Christian characteristic. You cannot, I cannot forgive anything and love anyone unless I have the power of Christ in me. It's hard to forgive people who've hurt us. It's hard to forgive people who's let us down. But I've discovered in my life, if, if I don't forgive someone, it causes bitterness and causes anger to get in my own life. I can't, I can't love a person very well if I'm in that, that lane where there's bitterness or anger inside of me. I have to make a choice to forgive everyone for everything, every day. You understand that? We, you and I live in this culture right now where there's so many people who have allowed that bitterness and that, 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 that anger to just seethe in, in them so long that it keeps them, even as Christ followers, they can't operate in relationship because they always, they always live with a suspicion that somebody's going to get them. I better get you before you get me, because I know eventually later, if it's too good to be true, it's too good. There is no way you could be that good. And, and people live with that suspicion. You know what we have to help people understand? Listen, life isn't fair. But what happens in me is far more important than what's happening out around me and what happens to me. God's watching to what we do. And, and listen, we have to realize that, that when, I, when I operate in forgiveness, when you and I operate in forgiveness, it moves us out of the victim character uh, stage. It moves us away from being a victim mindset. It moves us into being a victor mindset. Oh, yes. Forgiveness is never about something we respond to. It's, it's about a choice that we make. And listen, I'm smart enough to understand that forgiveness, listen, sermons, sermons is not what's going to make set you free. You know what's going to set you free when it comes to forgiveness? It's going to be decisions that you're going to make. And forgiving, forgiveness is a lifelong process. I, I, you know, when you go to the Gospels one day, you know, Peter come to Jesus in Matthew 18, and he said, Lord, how often should I forgive against someone who sins against me? Seven times? And Jesus said, no, not seven times. I want 70 times seven. Well, well the Jewish law in that culture of that day, they, they taught that you should give a, forgive a person three times, Okay. You should do it three times, and then you're three strikes, and you're out. Peter steps up. He said, hey, I'm going to throw an extra one in there. What if, what if I forgive somebody seven times? Jesus said, no, forgiveness goes farther than that. It isn't about how many times, seven times 70. In other means, look, forgiveness is something that is an ongoing process. Two people, listen, two people stay together in relationship, not because you learn how to forget, but because you learn how to forgive. There's some things that's happened to us, we'll never forget it. There's some things that's been so bad and so cruel. There's stories in this place. There's stories of people watching online, stories at our campuses that has been so horrid. You Listen, you will never forget that. But listen, your relationship can be repaired, not because you learn how to forget, but because you learn how to forgive every day. Well... And you're just so excited with this message. Number five, come on, Pastor Lindsay. We have to learn how to set healthy boundaries. Whoever walks with the wise become wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. 
in loving and doing good and being kind to those expecting nothing? Does it, does it mean that we have no boundaries? No, listen, you understand that Jesus healed a lot of people. Jesus ministered to a lot of people. Hundreds, thousands of people followed Jesus. But you understand that he was only close to 12? And he was only really close to three, Peter, James, and John. He had his 12 disciples. Jesus understood the fact that loving someone, being kind to someone, doing good to someone, doesn't mean they have to become your best friend. Okay? Lighten up. I'm not saying add everybody to your, to your five, you know, your quick redial numbers or whatever. Go home and Facebook friend. No, no. Listen, loving them, being kind to them, doing good, doesn't mean... There, there are times that, listen, Jesus had to deal with difficult people. You know what he realized? He realized you can't please everybody. If you go trying to whittle yourself down to please everybody, you'll soon be nothing. There are some people that are unpleasable. So what does it mean? It means I understand that there's a boundary sometimes. It understands there's nothing that I can do to change their attitude. So what I'm going to make sure is make sure my attitude and my heart stays pure towards God. You follow me? I, re I, re I just refuse to play those games sometimes. I just refuse to try to live up to unreal expectations. I, just, I understand as a pastor that, that man, people have expectations. They they have what you know, we expect. Listen, I'm just saying I can't, I'm going to do my best and I'm going to work hard and, and, and stay solid and keep my character. But listen, I understand I can't please everybody. I can't live up to ever. But it doesn't keep me from doing good to those, praying for those being. Are you following me? When we, when we try to retaliate against people, it lowers us to their level. I love what this Bible verse says here. If, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, everybody say you, live at peace with everyone. If it's possible. There are some people that because they, they feel like they had, can't have closure on every bad thing, every circumstance and situation in their life, they don't live at peace. Listen, if possible, as far as it depends upon you. There are a few relationships over my 68 years of life, there's a few relationships that there still might be an open door, a little, a little unsaid word or phrase. But listen, I don't lose sleep over that as far as possible. I'm, I just live at peace with that. And some of you have got to understand to do that. It isn't about learning how to forget. It's learning how to forgive every day. And Jesus said that, that people are going to know that you're my followers by, by the way that we love, John 13 and 35. He said they're going to know you're one of my disciple, disciples. You're a follower by the way that you love. And the ability to forgive anything and love anyone is tied uniquely to being Christ-like. You can't do it by yourself. When you try to love people who don't love you back. When you try to do good to people who don't do good back to you. When you try to be kind to people who won't be kind to you back. If you, if you try to do that in your own strength and your own power, you, you will always fail. But when you understand the ability to do that is uniquely tied to my relationship with Jesus Christ. You follow me? He gives me the power to do that. We are who we are today in our lives because God never, ever gave up on us. And there's people, listen, the, the eagle, the eagle has the tremendous capacity. The eagle can fly up to 30,000 feet, some naturalists say. But one of the eagle's greatest menaces is the crow. The crow... Well, well, when the eagle is at lower light height, the crow will pester that eagle, peck at that 
eagle, and when the eagle tries to turn, the eagle is much bigger, the crow is much smaller. It can maneuver faster and get away from the crow. If the eagle tries to live a crow life, it always gets frustrated because it can never dominate the crow because the crow can peck and leave, peck and leave, peck and leave. So you know what the eagle decides to do? The eagle decides to go to higher heights <laughs> and leave the crow down where the crow belongs. See, some of you are tired and wore out right now in relationships with the difficult people, and the EGRs and the crazies. Because you're trying to outmaneuver them. You're trying to, you're trying to live at their level, and you're trying to, to solve things on their level, and it can never be. Sometimes the only thing you have to do is decide, you know what, I'm going to go to a higher level. I'm going to go to a higher plane in this relationship. That's the Jesus call. You follow me? Look, look, look. Let, me, let me go back and read it to you again. It's the Jesus call when he says, listen, if you love those who love you, what credit is it to you? Even sinners love those who love you. If you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is to you? Even sinners, if you lend to those who, whom you respect repay, repayment, what credit is to you? Even sinners do that. But love your enemies, do good to them, lend to them without expecting to get anything back. That's the, that, that is going to a higher level. Some of us need a Teflon anointing in our culture right now. You know what Teflon? Now, now Miss Rhonda loves to cook with those big old iron skillets, okay? She is a master. She knows how to, how to keep them clean and how to cook in them, how to, how to oil them down, whatever. She, she calls it seasoning. She said, I know how to have a seasoned skillet. Listen, I try to, I try to cook in one of them. Everything sticks. Egg stick, my fried bologna, I love fried bologna, my grilled cheese, it all sticks. I don't care how much butter, it nothing. I tell her, give me a Teflon. Nothing sticks. To, matter of fact, when I'm, when I'm frying my egg or scrambling, my, I get egg all over the stove because it's just everywhere. Nothing. It just slides and glows. Now, maybe some of you are at the point where you can do a seasoned skillet, okay? Relationally speaking, but most of us, we need a Teflon anointing. You follow me? You need a Teflon anointing. When you go to work, when you go to, in your community, when you're out in the neighborhood and you've got the crazy, the difficult, the EGR people, listen, you need that Teflon anointing where nothing sticks to you. You follow me? You say, God, I want to do what you asked me to do because he said, then your reward will be great and you will be children of the Most High because he's kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. We're like the Father. We're like God. I tell people this all the time. Come on, stand. I got to quit. I tell people this all the time. I am more like God. You are more like God when we give and when we forgive. Those are the two characteristics that puts us at a different level than this world we're living in. And again, I acknowledge, and listen, this sermon is not trying to fix all in all our relationship. I acknowledge there are some difficult people that some of you have to deal with in relationships that I simply understand the fact that just hearing this summer. Doesn't going to, is it going to change you? But let me tell you what will change you, a decision that you make. You have to decide to say, Lord, this is a higher call, but I want to live it. I want to, I want to get into that. And there's two ways we're going to pray this morning before we dismiss. Then we're going to let you go. Your lunch is waiting on you. You're good. There's two things I want you to pray. First of all, I want you to be honest with yourself and just say, Lord, maybe I'm the difficult person for somebody. <laughs> and I know it takes humility. Lord, maybe, maybe in my marriage, maybe in this friendship, maybe in my family, maybe I'm the EGR. And I want you to pray. Say, Lord, would you help me to be more Christ-like to those around me so I won't be difficult, I won't be crazy, I won't be hard to get along with? And then secondly, we're going to pray, Lord, those difficult people that you have intentionally, listen, some of you, 
God has set you up intentionally around difficult people because you are and may be the only light that will ever shine for them of Christ. Stop praying, Lord, give me a different job. Stop praying, Lord, let me move to a different neighborhood. Listen, if that's not on God's will, if that's on His will, great. But listen, if you're just trying to escape out of a, out of a relationship because it's difficult, would you just stop and say, Lord, wait a minute, maybe today, maybe those people in my life, it might be a family member, it might be a spouse, it, it might be your own children, but Lord, maybe today, would you help me start seeing them the way you see them? Could I view them the way you view them? as people that are in need of hope and help. And God, help me be that person to extend that hand. Now those are two, I call them big ask prayers, A-S-K prayers. Ask. Because when you pray for yourself, because listen, I'm going to be honest with you. I know I've been the difficult person in my marriage sometime over 49 years. I know I've been the difficult parent with my kids. I know it's been me, oh Lord, standing in need of prayer. So there are times we can all be the person, and there's times we have the people in our lives. God, give us wisdom. Come on, would you bow your heads with us? God, would you give us wisdom today to discern and to be able to determine where it is, what it is that you want to do in us this morning with this message. God, I'm asking you that it just, just doesn't land on the ears, but God, I want it to land in the heart. There are some hurting, broken people around us in our culture in Northwest Indiana, in Wanata, in North Judson, in Hebron, in Valparaiso, Lord, in Westfield, there's people that are needing hope. And God, we're the light of this world. And God, I want you to help us shine. And now right now, would, would you ask God, say, God, if I am the person that's causing the pain, if I'm the person that's causing the confusion, if I'm the person that's causing the division, God, forgive me. Forgive me, God, change me, Lord. Change my life, Father. God, let there be a transformation in me. God, help me to Lord, start loving and not being unloving and be kind instead of being unkind. And God, we ask you right now for those around us, for those difficult people that you've sent our way. God, help us to open our eyes and see them the way you see them. Come on. Thank you for listening to Heartland Christian Center Sermon of the Week. If you would like to partner with us and give, please go to hcc.ag and click to give tab. Please like, follow, and share this podcast with others. Also, if you have a prayer request or want to contact Heartland, please email us at pastorphil at hcc3d.com. Have a blessed week.